It's Baroque music switched on, but who is throwing this switch and what does this switch even do? Plus, why did it inspire a whole movement of other record producers finding and throwing similar switches? Find out next on One Dollar Vinyl. Bonjour, Kat. Oh, bonjour. <laughs> We're French now. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Uh, welcome to One Dollar Vinyl. This is a podcast in which we buy the cheapest secondhand records we can find and give them a fair and honest review. And yesterday we went on a musical excursion, didn't we? We sure did. We went to So Frenchy, So Chic uh, in Sydney. Uh, it's like a French festival of music and food and Frenchiness. Yeah. yeah. And it was. It was pretty Frenchy and it was reasonably chic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I brought the chic levels way down, but on average, quite chic. We ate a lot of cheese. Oh, so much cheese. And I stared longingly at several people walking around drinking delicious glasses of champagne mm-hmm. and other wine. Yep. It I had of gin. wasn't the best um, festival for a pregnant woman, yeah. French food and, and wine, but, you know. Luckily, lucky it's only temporary, It was this being pregnant biz. It was very enjoyable nonetheless, and um, there was some good music there. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't really know of um, the cover band. What was it called? Vague? Nouvelle, Nouvelle Vague. Oh, okay, Nouvelle Vague. Um, and I felt really silly because, like, only maybe a quarter into the set did I realise that all of the songs were covers. Yeah, yeah. So they, they take, like, um, 80s and 90s, like, heavy stuff, like punk stuff, and, like, yeah. turned it into easy listening sort French of style. Sort offbeat kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Frenchy covers. Yeah. They were fun. Um, the highlight for me was definitely Corinne. Yeah, me too. Lots of fun. French touch Disco. Disco. And she Funky was wearing this incredible, like, turquoise one-piece um, sequined bodysuit. And she has a huge, big, buffy hair of a uh, head of blonde, curly hair. Yeah. And all her band were in... Oh, the band were the best. <laughs> so they were all wearing these, like, matching track suits that had, like, golden wings on the front and a golden, uh, like, Corinne's name emblazoned on the back. And they were all just like, oh, and they all wore sunglasses. Sunglasses at night, which is uh-huh. just just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all just like really into it. They all had their own like dance moves. Yeah, they were They great. had two percussionists, one of which like was dancing around so much that all the drums were like moving. He was a standing percussionist. Yeah, yeah. So he had like congas and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really fun. Yeah. Look, if you ever get a chance to go and see Corinne uh, anywhere. Yeah. It's a good it. show. Yeah. Sure. Really fun. But it, it um, you know, in preparation for, for going yesterday, I ended up unearthing a record from my collection, which is also a bit of French disco. Yeah. It's a record that I got from a friend, you know, in a big crate of records. And I overlooked it for a long time because there's nothing on the cover and it's just a single but I eventually did listen to it and it's become one of my favourite records in my whole collection. And you shared it with me and it sounds so fun. It's a little, it's a tiny little bit like Corinne actually in style. It's definitely a precursor to Corinne. Yeah, totally. Hello girls, this is your first French disco lesson. Now how do you say love? So this record is by the artist is called Night School, 
um, as in N-I-T-E, which is the cool way to spell night. We all know that. And it's called Do You Speak French? Nothing like a call and response. <laughs> or is it just a repetition? Well, it's a lesson. Oh, it's a lesson. You're Even learning. better. <laughs> it's a language lesson. Yes. How silly of me. But as you can hear, it's, it's, it's funky as hell disco. And uh, we've got, yeah, sort of this English-French exchange mm. happening. And I, I wanted to do this as a $1 vinyl episode, but I actually couldn't find very much information about it online. Mm. And it turns out that Night School is is no one. It's, it's actually just a one-off project for this Belgian record producer called Jean Kluger. There's a few copies of it that people have uploaded to YouTube. Oh, yeah. But there's nothing else really online and there's yeah. not a lot of information. Oh, what a shame. So, but I love it. And I, I would love to hear anyone out there in $1 Vinyl Land who remembers this, who was around in 1977, hit us up on, a, on our socials and give us your reminiscing about Do You Speak French? Because, I yeah, I think it's just great. Anyway, today we've got a record that I'm very excited to present. Uh, it's a record that really was a bit of a game changer for electronic music. Yeah, definitely. And perhaps even for classical music. Mm. The record's called Switched on Bark, and it's by Wendy Carlos. Mm -hmm. And it came out in 1968. Yeah. What's this switched on? What does that mean? I know who Bark is. He's a composer, classic, classical composer. Yes. So it's Bach's music, but the whole thing is played on a Moog synthesizer. Now, this is 1968, and this is the very early days of the Moog synthesizers. And you've heard, like, obviously everyone's heard of synthesizers. Yeah. Keyboards. Yeah, whatever. that's right. Yeah. yeah. But this is this is the early, early days when they were first, when it was first being developed. Yeah, was it the first, I think it was the first commercial synthesizer that was available for musicians to just freely have a go at making music. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the Moog synthesizer came around in, it made its debut in 1964, but it had been used by only kind of avant-garde um, and sort of like arty music. Yeah. And really up until then, the only thing that it could do was make weird spacey noises. Oh, yeah, like uh, like maybe a theremin would be like, Ooh. Yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. actually, Robert Moog, who developed the synthesizer, that's what he used to do. He used to make theremins. Oh, and then it seems like a good progression. moved on to making this. Yeah. But no one had really sort of made... Actual music, music with it? tuneful music with yeah. it up until this point. So where did you get this record, Tess? So this came, once again, from a friend of mine oh, who yeah, was so. moving into state and had a crate full of records that they couldn't take with them. And so I inherited this from him. So, Matt, if you're listening, thanks very much because this is now one of my favourites. Such a treat. Yeah. So you got it for free, but on Discogs or another marketplace, how much would it go for? It's averaging about $8. Okay. And can you get it online? You can get bits and pieces of it online, but not the entire album. Yeah, cool. Uh, let's have a look at the cover. All right, so <laughs> the cover's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I really like it. We've got Bark, a man sort of dressed as Bark. Um, I assume it's not the real Bark because... He's been dead for some time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once they reanimated his corpse. But he's, you know, he's got the whole frock coat, tights, powdered wig. Yep. All that. He is sitting in a parlour. 
Uh-huh. Uh, he's got some sheet music in one hand and he's got a pair of headphones on. Now, the headphones are connected to this gigantic machine sitting behind him. Mm-hmm. The machine is the Moog organ. Yeah. It's the early Moog organ. It's got a keyboard, but it also has this huge sort of bank of switches and knobs and plugs and it kind of looks like an an old telephone switchboard or something that's exactly what it looks like operator yeah exactly (laughs) please hold i'll put you right through well the thing that stands out to me is his facial expression he looks rather perplexed and alarmed by this new switched on version of his music he's got these big wide eyes as though he's saying what have they done to my music? An interesting thing about this cover is that it's actually, this is the first edition of the cover mm. um, in what was at least two editions. Wendy was, I don't know if it was Wendy or someone was unhappy with the cover because they thought that it sort of trivialised the music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, they're not wrong. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, he looks pretty sort of cartoonish and funny. Yeah. Um, and turns out actually the the organ itself is set up incorrectly. His yeah. headphones are plugged into an input. Um, <laughs> Maybe thing. that's why he's so confused because he can't actually he hear actually anything. He actually can't hear anything, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's looking at the camera just being like, what When's am I supposed start? to be listening to? <laughs> so they re-released it with a, a more dignified mm. looking bark with a correctly set up organ. And that's, I think, the one you're more likely to find. Mm. But I think there was yeah. I think there was one of him still sitting, but more serious, and then another one of him standing. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we, I, we got crazy eyes bark, so <laughs> I'm pretty one. happy about that. <laughs> um, I really like uh, like how Wendy Carlos like sticks to her convictions. Like she's got these strong views on things. Um, I read a quote by her that said that she appreciated the way that the Moog was being used a lot by people, even in um, different genres and stuff. But she wasn't a fan of disco because she doesn't think that any, like, music should repeat itself more than four times (laughs) or, like, more than 16 beats or something like that. And she said... Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) If you're going to say... If you're going to tell me, like, come over here, come over here, come over here, like, I get it. You don't have to keep on saying it. (laughs) How do you think she would have felt about uh, do you speak French? (laughs) Uh, She would have been torn about it. I mean, it was educational, so maybe she would have been for it, yeah. (laughs) welcome back to one dollar vinyl you just heard popcorn by hot butter (laughs) did they release any other music hot butter uh i think it was mainly just popcorn and and like what other things do you put in hot butter just Cob of cobs of corn, yeah. <laughs> Bowl of peas, yeah. <laughs> um, that was composed by Gershon Kingsley in 1969, and it first appeared on his album "Music to Moog By" or "Moog By." I guess Moog I should by say. Moog By does sound better though. <laughs> this is the thing about yeah. this particular word; it's written M O O G, 
Um, and I know that I, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Moog, but I'm always tempted to go back to Moog because In, <laughs> of puns just like that uh-huh. and because it sounds hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was, once again, another big hit with the Moog organ. Yep. Um, it was the second primarily based electronic piece of music to reach the American popular mu- music charts. Yeah, so I guess Switched on Bark was the first. Probably the first. I think so. And then so. Popcorn was the second. What's happened, yeah. yeah. And it, it went pretty gangbusters. It only made it to number nine on America's Billboard Top 100. Um, but it topped the Australian charts for eight weeks. Oh, my gosh. Eight <laughs> weeks? It was, what? It was massive here, apparently. Oh my god! Well, I'm actually not very pleased that you've played it because now it's going to be in my head all day. Well, that pleases me, <laughs> <laughs> and I've always loved that song. My kindergarten teacher used to put that on when it was like, you know, come on, kids, like move around and get your wiggles out, kind of time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it always just like the way that it starts with that whine and the sort of bass line coming in. It mm-hmm. just gets me excited in a very like six year old kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's very pure. I and like you'll that. be pleased to know that um, the Crazy Frog released a cover in 2005, which also did the rounds for a while. That's why you don't know me very well, because I'm not pleased to hear that. <laughs> not at all. Should we get to Switched on Bark? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so what have we got first? So we're starting off with track one. Very good place to start. Mm. And this is the Sinfona to Cantata number 29. Now, I need to offer a broad disclaimer on this um, before we sort of throw ourselves into this record. I know very, very little about classical music, so I'm not even going to attempt to comment on, like, how well this portrays Bach or, mm. you know, anything like that because it's just... It's frankly, not your wheelhouse. Frankly, it's none of my business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it is Bach and that's all I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I think the more interesting information is... is on about how this record came about. Something I can't get my head around is the pure amount of time that it took. Oh, yeah. So, like, I read that it took, was it a thousand hours or yes. over five months? Yes. So, Wendy had to program each individual note That's and then exactly play it. right. So, yeah. so, the original Moog synthesizer was a monophonic. Yeah. Which meant it was one note at a time. Uh-huh. And it wasn't just like getting a keyboard now and you hit the, you know, the cello sound and you can play a song that sounds a bit like a cello. Mm. She programmed every bleep and every bloop. Yeah. <laughs> every sound. She sat there with the modulators going, you know, row, row, until it sounded like what she Jimmy. wanted it to sound like. And then recorded that one note Uh huh. and then went on to the next note and did the same thing. The amount of patience and persistence is just mind-blowing for me. It's pretty remarkable. This record itself was huge. It peaked in the US Billboard chart at number 10 and it was the best-selling classical album from 1969 to 1972. Wow. So that's a pretty long stint. It won, um, it was certified platinum. It won a swathe of Grammys in 1970 for best best classical album, best classical performance and best engineered classical album. Do you think that Bach 
would have been spinning in his grave or like loving the fact that so many more people were listening to his music even though it's in a slightly different form that's a good question i mean i i i can't answer that but I, well, it does not. you can you can <laughs> all right uh yes <laughs> that's my answer <laughs> okay you can't answer it well but you can answer it fair enough fair enough i mean it, it fascinates me that this record was so huge yeah it um i don't know what people were getting out of it was it pure novelty was it like oh this is the future of classical music this is like the best way to listen to classical music now do you think they thought this is the future of music full stop yeah because it is like electronic music is so big right now and i don't think it would be what it is at all without this moog synthesizer and potentially this record well it definitely wouldn't i mean yeah. this this is as we sort of touched on a little bit earlier um the first time that electronic music was brought to the masses mm. carlos deliberately made an effort to make something that was tuneful and listenable mm-hmm. and not just sort of spacey and experimental and yeah. you know bleeps and bloops but yeah it's even still i don't know like it's so weird sounding yeah i agree but in, in such a good way yeah. that I just don't know how it made people feel. Were they feeling, you know, I think when a lot of people put on classical music, it's either to feel sort of a bit elevated, like it's, a, you know, because it's an art form mm. or to feel a bit clever, you know. Oh, yeah, maybe. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that only listens to classical music. Yeah. Is that what people were getting out of it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. Either. Or is it just, yeah, excitement for the future? Mm. Little from column A, little from column B. Probably. Yeah. Let's uh, let's listen to the next track. Yeah. So this is Air on the G-String, <laughs> which is obviously the funniest named piece of classical music. Because <laughs> it sounds like a it's fart. It's a fart. <laughs> uh, we are not highbrow. No. No. No, but we never profess to be. No. Uh, this is sounding, you know, I mean, it... This sounds more <laughs> like the instruments than the previous one exactly yeah yeah Yeah. it sounds pretty close when you consider that this is sounds that have been programmed in it does sound fairly close to i guess like maybe an oboe Mm -hmm. sort of some strings ish sounding i think it has to do with the like staccato nature of the first song compared to like the longer notes of this song yeah um Maybe that's what makes this sound more natural. Yeah, well, it's certainly an easier listen. Yeah. Whenever I listen to this, I appreciate it almost like not really because of the music, but because of like all of the work that Wendy Carlos put into it. And I only learned that through like doing all my research. And Wendy Carlos is such an interesting human. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she worked very closely with Robert Moog, who was the inventor of the Moog synthesizer. Yeah. Um, they met at Columbia University, um, where they both ended up, I think they were both teaching. And yeah, she actually helped him develop yeah. the synthesizer. Mm. The synthesizer, by the way, they they went on in 1970, they released the Mini Moog, mm-hmm. which is something that you've probably heard more of. Um, there were bands like Pink Floyd, Stevie Wonder, Herbie Hancock, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. They all picked that up. 
Um, if you if you sort of like aren't still aren't sure what the what the Moog sound is, I found this random list online that was ten essential Moog songs. So you've got Kraftwerk's Autobahn, Donna Summer's I Feel Love, Rush Closer to the Heart, Emerson Lake and Palmer's Lucky Man. Um, Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here also uses the Moog, Parliament's Flashlight, Heart's Magic Man, which is one of my favourite songs ever, mm. um, and Lips Incorporated Funky Town. Uh. So that, you know, that real like, blip, 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 blip. So the Moog, you know, it's pretty versatile. Yes. But it, I got a bit off track there because we were talking about Wendy Carlos herself and yeah she had a fascinating life Mm. or has you know she's still around yeah she's 80 yeah yeah Yeah. she was actually born walter carlos Uh and she was one of the first public figures to like publicly undergo gender reassignment surgery yeah like what i read was she was literally the first person in the public eye yeah to to come out as as yeah, who was already in the public eye and yeah. then and then underwent the transition. Yeah. 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 I think it was difficult for her. Yeah. Um there was a genuinely very good article in Playboy yeah. which I found on the internet and I I must admit I always thought the excuse of oh I I only get Playboy because uh, I like to read the articles was a bit you know, made up because they like to look at the ladies who are naked. Um, yeah, no, we- I think in the 60s and 70s, like, Playboy was, like, a, had very good writers. I mean, there was always, like, Hunter S. Thompson and whatnot writing for Playboy in those yeah. days. and Yeah. Uh, but it was a really insightful interview uh, with Wendy. It was her um, – it was her coming out as uh, transgender. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and it was actually, like, really interesting um, – Within the first few paragraphs, they talk about the vocabulary of um, – because back then they used to say transsexual. Yes. And, you know, living in 2020 now, Mm. you know, people rarely say transsexual. They say transgender. Yeah, we say transgender now. And that's that's something that Wendy said um, very early on in the piece. Right. That she doesn't like the term transsexual. She likes transgender. For for a few years afterwards, she – had a really hard time. She became a bit of a recluse. Mm-hmm. Um, she would dress in drag. So she would, um, she she was a woman, but she would put on like fake sideburns and, yeah, and that's facial right. hair in order to appear in public. Mm-hmm. Um, she did that to meet Stanley Kubrick, who she went on to work with, um, incidentally, on um, the... A clock, Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange and... The Shining yeah. soundtracks, which she composed both of those, mm. um, alongside the Tron soundtrack as, yeah, that's right. as well. Yeah. But, yeah, the she would sort of lead this double life mm-hmm. for a few years. And and in the interview you can kind of tell that she's quite funny. Like she's obviously extremely intelligent. Yeah. And, like, quite dry in her humour. Yeah. And um, through reading the interview I, I kind of came to understand like quite accomplished in other areas as well not just as a musician oh yeah yeah so she's a an accomplished solar eclipse photographer as well like what a niche <laughs> <laughs> she's been published by NASA yeah like I mean just clearly one of those shiftless underachievers yeah <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's like save something for the rest of us Wendy <laughs> 
But yeah, a very impressive woman and a very um, a pioneer in more ways than one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I'd like to move on to the next track, which I'm just playing these through track by track, actually. Mm. So this is track three and it is a two part invention in D minor. This is, is one of the, you know, faster paced and slightly more bonkers sounding <laughs> uh, tracks on the record. This is definitely not the same as the first one, right? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's different. This is an invention. So um, Bach, you know, very clever composer, not so great at naming songs. Um, inventions were, they were technical displays or they were learning pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one has parts that overlap each other and imitate each other and that creates counterpoint. Ooh, um, we've counterpoint. Got a, we're going into another... Oh, that was a short one? It was super short, yeah. yeah. We're going into another invention now. This is the invention, two-part invention in B-flat major. Well, I do have a question about this invention. Mm. If this is an invention that's, like, come out of his head, like, what's everything else? <laughs> Pure um, inspiration from the muse, I assume. Oh, okay. <laughs> These inventions you had to work really hard at. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the rest came get out of here! I'm inventing a song. <laughs> <laughs> but I love these ones in particular because they really sound particularly weird on the uh, moke. To yeah. me, it sounds like they should be over, um, like old those old documentaries you would watch um in science class in school you know like oh my gosh outdoor, yes exactly yeah. or like a documentary about ant colonies or yes. something <laughs> oh yeah and <laughs> and here we see <laughs> the queen ant <laughs> what a busy little character <laughs> oh this is lovely it's nice yeah. yeah and and as you can hear too like every song has very different sounding tone. Oh yeah, absolutely. She hasn't like reused things. Yeah. She doesn't cut corners. There's no reusing. She's oh, very no. very dedicated. Yeah. And and as you can see once again, the reason it took a thousand, a thousand hours, hours to make. Yeah. And and a thousand hours by herself. Ugh. It's pretty incredible. What a legend. Well, I think we should take a short break mm-hmm. and um, when we come back, we can reach our conclusions on Switched On Bark. By Wendy Carlos. By Wendy Carlos. So that was What's New Pussycat um, played on the Moog organ by Wendy Carlos again. I will never not laugh at that. (laughs) That is so funny. And it it shows the versatility of the Moog um, and just how insane Uh it can sound. It can really create some bizarre things. You can make it sound like a cat. Yeah. I mean, this this (laughs) instrument's got it all. (laughs) Cat, what did you think about this record? Um, whenever I first listened to it, I thought it was okay. And then I actually did the research and I kind of realized what a a seminal piece it was, how groundbreaking it was, and just the amount of effort that Wendy Carlos took to create it. 
and now I appreciate it on a much deeper level and I I think it's great. Yeah, it really broke a lot of ground. It Mm. paved the way for like so many different styles of music picking up yeah the moog organ and subsequently like different kinds of synthesizers and and one thing that it reminds me of is uh something that you and i do not have in common uh (laughs) my love of playing video games oh sure yeah Um, so like video game soundtracks are some of them sound a little bit moogie in in their style yeah and they're designed to make you focus on things and like keep going for for longer on your your challenge. Oh, sure, yeah. And so I could actually see me like putting this on in the background while I'm doing some work where because I, I can't focus on things with uh, lyrics on in the background. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm a bit but, the same. Yeah. yeah, this could definitely be good study music. Yeah, I think. definitely. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I, I find it um, delightful and demented in equal parts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I uh, like you I love lear- knowing how much work went into it and especially because it ultimately kind of sounds so silly mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean to our ears I don't know like once again I don't know what was going through people's minds Mind. back in in 68 whether they were amazed or they found it funny or a little bit of both yeah I'm fascinated as to how it became so huge I'm a little bit sad that it sort of disappeared a bit like yeah it's, totally. and, and so many electronic music uh, musicians quote it as being an inspiration and and being a real having a real impact on them Mm. but the fact that you can't even sort of listen to the whole thing online yeah for such an important piece yeah Yeah, you're right so how much would you pay for it Kat I think I am actually going to look for this so I can add it to my collection $15 probably yeah honestly I'd pay 20 I'd even pay $30 for this I think it's like really good yeah yeah Yeah. uh so you're obviously going to keep it right Tess I'm definitely going to keep this it's on the shelf. Is that our first, like, definite keeper? Oh, yeah. I think so. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well done, what Wendy. What a treat. <laughs> You've impressed us. <laughs> mm, yeah, Wendy. And that's Good possibly work. your biggest achievement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We really hope you enjoyed Switched On Bark and uh, perhaps it'll it'll start you on your own journey of d- discovery into electronic music or into classical music you can see our show notes and all the things that we refer to in this episode at onedollarvinyl.com and you can search for one dollar vinyl on facebook and instagram and twitter um, you can email us at one dollar vinyl at gmail.com and tell us what you thought please subscribe and rate us on itunes that helps a lot um, and tune in next week when we go back to the 80s for some glam rock with street hearts dancing with danger and remember as wendy carlos once said in an interview a nice blend of prediction and surprise seem to be at the heart of the best art uh okay bye-bye. bye bye